reading this morning, I, I came across uh, Psalm 104 and verses 33 and 34 that particularly stuck out to me, and, and especially in relation to what we just sung and what we're going to be looking at. These two verses, Psalm 104, verses 33 and 34, say, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Uh, those verses are, are really awesome as you consider what they are saying and if you're actually making that true in your life, that you're singing unto the Lord as long as you live, that your praise to God is continuous as long as you have your being, that your meditation of him shall be sweet. I've never known anyone who ever spent time in God's word or spent time praying that was discouraged or disheartened by what the Lord had done and what he'd revealed to him. So may it be that even our time here this morning is sweet as we look at God and what he has called us to do. Our passage that we're going to be looking at here this morning is from Matthew chapter 6. So I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles at this time to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to mention very quickly another passage as we begin this morning. In Mark chapter 5, there is a passage here, and this is actually where our theme for this year has come from. And if you notice in your bulletins, as you open it up at the top of the right-hand uh, column, it says, go and tell them. That is what our theme is for this 2023 year. Go and tell them. And those words are taken from Mark chapter 5 and verse 19. If you're not familiar with the context here, Christ has just healed a man who had a legion of unclean spirits that were dwelling within him. He has healed him. He has set this man free. And the man was wanting to climb into the ship with Jesus as he was getting ready to sail back across the Sea of Galilee, back into the land of Israel. This is one of the few encounters where Jesus went outside the, the borders of Israel and encountered somebody. And this is one of those instances. And as Christ is getting back into the boat to sail back across the sea to get back to Israel, the man who has just now been freed from this legion of demons that has been possessing him wants to come with him. And Jesus says in, in verse 19 of Mark chapter 5, says, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. That is where those words, go and tell them, come from. So our, our goal and our mission and what we're going to be really working hard at accomplishing is going and telling others about Christ, making personal evangelism, making soul winning a priority here in our church. And not just for this year, but as long as we have life and breath within us, this should be what our heart's desire is set on, to go home to thy friends, to go and tell others about how great things the Lord has done for us and how he's had compassion on us. It says of that man in verse 20, it says, and he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. Let's take this upon ourselves. Let's make it a priority in our lives to go and tell others about Christ, to go and tell others about what your story is, what he's done for you personally, how he's changed your life and brought you to where you are today, how you're on this journey to get closer to God uh, as you are marching towards heaven. As we've been into this new year now for a few weeks, uh, we've been talking about how important it is to live the Spirit-filled life, to, to make ourselves truly temples of the Holy Spirit. And so to do that is, is really crucial for us to have an effective witness, to be effective soul winners for Christ. So this morning, as we look at what is probably a very familiar passage to most of us, if not all of us, and Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer or how the Lord instructs us to pray, our message this morning is entitled a house of prayer a house of prayer on a couple of occasions during the life and the ministry of christ he cleansed the temple uh, he arrived to the temple to find that the place that was dedicated as the place of worship in the community had become a place of commerce the temple was the central place that would be filled with so much foot traffic and the people had began utilizing its strategic location to set up shop and to sell goods of all different sorts and kinds. In the pursuit of money, 
the priests, who were the ones who were supposed to be almost the sole proprietors of the, of the temple, began to work in conjunction with some of these people that came to set up shop there in the temple to sell animals. And as the priests are working with these people who are selling animals for the purpose of having an, having an animal to be offered for a sacrifice, the priests and these people working together so that they could extort all those who came to the temple to offer sacrifices. So the, the way that would work is that the priests were the ones who would declare whether or not the animal that you were bringing to the temple was adequate and meeting all the requirements to be sacrificed. Every time you sinned, every time you, you did something you shouldn't do, you were required, according to the custom of the law, to come and bring a sacrifice, an animal, to be sacrificed at the temple. And before any animal was killed, you had to bring the animal, and there were specific animals that you would bring for a different kind of sins that you were guilty of, and you would bring them to the temple alive, and the priest would check it over. He'd verify that it is indeed the proper animal, that it meets all the requirements for a sacrifice, and he would give you that approval, and then you could go on from there with the proper sacrifice and offering the animal on the altar. But there are many times where he would have to look the animal over and say, no, it doesn't meet the qualifications. It doesn't meet the requirements. And what they figured out over time is that the priest could work in conjunction with these people that sold animals and they would extort the people to now sell animals at a high, high cost. And the priest would say, no, the animal that you have brought here is not meeting the requirements. But fortunately for you, we have someone right here in the same court who is selling animals that all meet the specifications that we're looking for. We've got you covered. Oh, so they're thinking, great. So they go over and find that they have to empty their pockets completely of all the money that they had because what they were selling were so much more expensive than anything else they could have purchased anywhere else. But those are the only animals that the priests would approve. And so this is the scene that Jesus would arrive on a couple of occasions where he had to cleanse the temple. It was extortion. And the priests and those that sold animals were getting rich off of helpless people just trying to please God. They were trying to do what they were supposed to do and offer sacrifice. And this is a scene that Jesus came upon in, in Mark chapter 11. And he drove out, the Bible says, he drove out all those people who had no business being there. And he declared this in Mark 11, verse 17. He says, is it not written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. The temple was called a house of prayer. Now, as temples of the Holy Ghost, every single believer is a temple of the Holy Ghost. Believers should be the same. We should be a house of prayer. After Jesus cleansed the temple, we're told in verse 16, it says, And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. You know what he did? He stood guard. He drove everyone out, and then he stood guard and made sure that no one was coming in, that no one was going out that shouldn't be doing anything there. He stood guard and made sure that all those people who he drove out, who had no business being there, who were extorting people from the get-go, stayed away from where they should be. As houses of prayer, as believers, it is important that we also don't allow things in our lives that have no business being there. Drive it out. Clean up yourself of all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit and make sure it stays out. Don't let it back in. There are so many distractions that we allow into our lives which ultimately drive our attention and our focus away from God. We often treat prayer as a result, as a last resort, because there's so many other distractions. There are so many other things that are pulling our attention away from God. So prayer often is treated as a last resort rather than the first step that we should take. We don't even fully consider how valuable prayer is, and thus we miss out on a number of blessings that God promises to give to those who are in close communion and fellowship with him. It frustrates me when I do this. I've been guilty of telling people that I'll pray for them, and then I'll forget. I've made it a point, because I, I can't rely on my memory anymore, that whenever I tell people I'm going to pray for them, that I pray for them right then and there. Because if I'm relying upon my memory, you all are in trouble. That's not to say I forget everything. But we forget things. 
You, you say one thing, you plan to do one thing, and then life happens, right? And then things get caught up, and we, our minds get thinking about everything else, and then before we know it, we see the person that we told last week we're going to pray for them, and we realize we never did. Someone once asked um, Charles Spurgeon, because when we, when we think about how important prayer is, prayer gets kind of left off in comparison to Bible reading. How important it is to read your Bible. We'll stress that, but it's just as important. Someone once asked Charles Spurgeon, he says, what is more important? Is it more important to read your Bible or is it more important to pray? And Spurgeon responded this way. He said, what is more important, breathing in or breathing out? Equally important. I've been guilty of undervaluing prayer and it has to stop. Prayer is such a vital area of the believer's life. It is an open channel by which God allows us to have communication with him. God speaks to us through his word, him speaking to us, and we get the wonderful privilege of speaking to him in prayer. There are so many blessings that God offers us in prayer that we end up forfeiting because we don't pray. I cannot tell you how many times God has brought me peace even before I'm done praying. As I go to him with a need or I, I go to him asking for wisdom and guidance, God grants me more than what I've ever asked for. God so richly blesses his children through prayer. So don't rob yourself of the blessings that God has in store for you by not praying, by neglecting to pray. Allow your life to be what it should be, a house of prayer. May we learn more about this wonderful God who loves us and enjoys blessed times of fellowship with us in prayer. May prayer become a natural and just an organic part of our life where we find ourselves praying without having to think and set aside time to do it. May we long to be in fellowship with God and begin to experience the joy that he brings to our souls when we're connected to the deep things of God in prayer. I think about how awesome prayer really is. I don't know if we think about this enough, but when we pray, we're not just speaking to one another. We're speaking to the God who spoke all things into existence. You have a personal conversation with that God, the God who loves you more than anything else, the God who is the author of all faith, the author of all creation, the one who literally holds everything together. He wants a conversation and a personal relationship with you. When you pray, you're having that conversation that dialogue with the one who spoke you into existence. The God of the universe, the Bible says, inclines his ear to hear us. You are a speck in this vast universe. A speck. And even that's being modest. You're a speck in this vast universe. A little blip on the radar over the course of human history. And with what little significance we possess in this grand scheme of life and the universe, God still hears and even answers our prayers. In fact, he delights in hearing from us. God never gets tired from hearing from us. In fact, he doesn't hear enough from us. He doesn't say, oh, it's you again? Didn't we just talk yesterday? Why are you coming back to me so soon? No, he delights in hearing from us. He has storehouses full of blessings that he wishes to bestow upon all of us when we pray to him. But many of those blessings remain completely untouched. They're collecting dust up in heaven because we're not going to him enough and seeking his face in prayer. Now, we don't think about this enough. We fail to consider that it's not about how powerful our words can be and in what specific words we can speak in prayer or even how complete our sentences can be in order for prayer to be real. The true miracle of prayer is that God takes our nothingness and adds to his almightiness, we're making up words, and just like that, prayer is real. It is foolish of us not to pray. In fact, it's, it's more than just foolishness. The Bible actually calls it sinful. Listen to what we're told in 1 Samuel 12, 23. 1 Samuel 12, 23 says, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. 
but I will teach you the good and the right way. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. We not only miss out on blessings when we don't pray, but it is sinful not to be praying. The passage that we're going to be looking at here this morning is a passage I've preached on numerous times. And it's a passage that you probably are all very, very familiar with. But please don't let your familiarity with the passage keep you from giving your full attention to God's word and what he has for us here today. So your Bibles are open to Matthew chapter 6. Would you follow along as I read, beginning with verse number 9, and I'll read just down through verse 13. Matthew 6, and verses 9 through 13. After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now this passage is known by many names. Your Bibles may even have a specific heading over these set of verses. Uh, it's known as the Lord's Prayer, which I would argue the Lord's Prayer is probably found in John 17, uh, where we have Christ's intercessory prayer, where it's his true prayer. But this is often referred to as the model prayer, or how Christ instructs us to be praying. I think that's more proper. Christ is offering instructions on what prayer should look like. In the previous portion of Scripture, Christ tells us how not to pray because many were focused on praying while being noticed by those around them. Many were concerned with trying to come across as incredibly spiritual, incredibly knowledgeable to gain the favor and the approval of people that were around them. There are many hypocrites who give off the impression that they're spiritual. When in reality, they're doing next to nothing when it comes to growing spiritually. They may pass the eye test. When everyone else is watching, they may look the part. Because, man, when they pray, it certainly seems like their prayers are not being blocked by the ceiling, but they're going all the way to heaven because they're so eloquent in the words that they speak. And they're so, you know, they're, they're so profound in their knowledge of Bible with all the verses they're quoting back to God and how they're praying. Man, it must be that those powerful words are reaching all the way up to God's throne in heaven where my prayers feel like they're stopping at the ceiling because they're nowhere near as eloquent or as well put together as what someone else's may be. There are a lot of people who are just focused on that, trying to give off a good impression that they're knowledgeable, that they're well put together, that they are God's gift to humanity. And they're trying to do this in how they pray. And this is what Christ was teaching about earlier before this passage on how not to pray. Don't pray to get the approval of everyone else. Don't pray to get the attention and the focus of everyone else. That's not what it's about. I heard of a young lawyer who had just started a brand new practice. He was seated behind a brand new desk and he was so thrilled and excited as he was waiting for his first potential client. Soon enough, he heard footsteps coming down the hall and then he could hear the doorknob of his office start to turn. Wanting to look really important, he pretended to be very busy. So he picked up the telephone and he started carrying on a fake conversation. Yes, yes, I'll have my secretary fax that over to you first thing Monday morning. I have a very full and busy schedule, he said. Call me back in a few days after you receive the documents that will fax over to you, and then we can discuss them all in length. And as he's doing this, carrying on this fake conversation, he, he motions to the gentleman who's just now entered the room to come in and have a seat. And he, he finally hangs up the, the phone call, and the man is really impressed because he, you know, that's what he's thinking because he's looking at what is a very busy lawyer in front of him. And so the man sits down and he hangs up the phone. The lawyer does. He says, now, what can I do for you, sir? And the man calmly answers. He says, sir, I'm from the phone company. I'm here to set up your phone. <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of our prayers are like this, where we're praying to be seen of men, but no one is on the other line. There's nothing that we're actually trying to convey. There's no one that we're trying to speak to, but it's just trying to impress people that are around us. It's time to get serious about prayer and make ourselves a house of prayer. And notice, first of all, who we're speaking to, who we're speaking to. It's got to start somewhere, and it starts with a realization of who we're speaking to. It starts in verse number nine. Again, it says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father, 
which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Our Father, he says. He is the one to whom we are praying. If we thought about this more often when we prayed or when we considered praying, it, I believe, would change our attitude in prayer. The way that Christ shows us how to pray is not using vain and empty words, but directing our focus to our Heavenly Father. Our Father, which art in heaven, he says, hallowed be thy name. Christ is reminding us of our relationship to God. As believers, we're children of our Heavenly Father. And the great privilege we have is that we may come to Him at any time with anything, no matter the circumstance, He is there for us to call out to. Now this means that those who are not saved, though, do not enjoy these blessings. Not everyone has the right to call God Father. God may have created every single person and every human may have been created in God's image, but only those who have been born into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone have the right to call him Father. God is the creator of all, but the Father of few. The Bible makes this truth very clear. When Jesus was putting the scribes and the Pharisees in their place in John chapter 8, he said this to them in John 8, 44. He says, You are of your father, the devil! The devil, he says, and the lust of your father you will do. Jesus made it crystal clear that God is not their father because they hadn't trusted in him. Rather, they're following after their true father, who is the devil. God had created them. Yes, God had created them in his image. Yes, but they had rejected God and were not worthy to call upon him as their father. We're told also more of this in John 1 and verses 11 and 12. The Bible says, Speaking of Christ and his first coming, it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Did you catch that? To them that received him, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The ones who become the sons of God by faith in Christ alone are the ones who can be, called, can be calling upon him as father. You're not a child of God by virtue of being human. You're not a child of God because your parents were saved. You're not a child of God because you've been attending church your entire life. You're not a child of God even if your name appears on the membership role in the church. You're a child of God only if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's it. There are no grandchildren that God has or great-grandchildren. It is only children, no matter your age. You're all a child of God if you're saved. God is not your Father if you're not. And then once God is your Father, though, everything changes. And we should run to Him in prayer. There, there should be such joy in our hearts to speak to Him, to converse with Him, to call out to Him. Now, I understand that New believers may not understand all of this. They may not get it all right away. Especially those who are just being introduced to God's word for the first time. However, if you've been saved for a little while now, and you know what prayer should look like, what's standing in your way of your life living the right way as a house of prayer? How often do you talk with other people over the course of each day? Why is it, though, that we struggle to pray? Some of us think there needs to be something pressing in our lives in order for us to pray. There needs to be a reason for me to pray. And even then, we feel that the reason has to be fairly significant. Otherwise, we think that we're just wasting God's time. Well, I don't want to bother this. I don't want to bother him with this. This is so small. I can take care of this on my own. I've done that. I've done that so much where it's just... My wife had to remind me of that the other day. Why are you struggling to just let God know these little things that may seem like a little gnat that keeps flying around is still worthy of going to God in prayer over? It's as if we think that we're wasting God's time, as if God has informed us that only come to me if it's really important. I'm not going to be here for you to answer these small requests. It better be a doozy of a prayer request or else it's not going to be worth my time. Nowhere in Scripture do we read anything about such a thing. Nowhere in Scripture is it taught and yet we treat prayer this way. Again, I've been guilty of doing this, thinking that something is not worth going to God about. 
because I can probably figure it out on my own and it's not worth wasting God's time, even though it's never a waste of his time. And what eventually happens, though, when we neglect to pray, is that the small thing that we thought we could take care of becomes something so much bigger. And when we find ourselves on our knees finally before God, we were wishing that we just would have come to him sooner when it was a small thing and not this huge major issue that's blown up in our face. Sometimes we get in our way too much. And in our own heads too often, convincing ourselves of things that just aren't true and it's all to our detriment. Sometimes we think that we have to use the language of Shakespeare when we pray to God. It's not about using fancy words or being incredibly wordy. Just speak to your heavenly Father. Look at what it says back in verse number 7 of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 verse 7, it says, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Don't be arrogant. Don't be condescending. Don't be demanding when you pray. It's not an opportunity for you to go and make ultimatums to God. Do this or else. Do this by this time. Don't be arrogant. Don't be condescending. Don't be demanding. But also don't feel like if you don't have a complete sentence in your prayer or if your grammar is not the best or if your mind is a little scattered while you're praying and if your vocabulary is not as extensive as someone else. Don't think that God is going to turn you away or shortchange what his answer would have otherwise been to you if you could have formulated a complete sentence using all the proper rules of grammar. He's not going to do that. Do we have such requirements when we talk to our children or when our ch children talk to us? Now listen, you better talk to me the right way. Complete sentences or else I'm not listening. No, we don't do that. You better not. Lily doesn't approach me at home and say, Most reverend and eminent pastor of Latham Bible Baptist Church, I beseech thee that thou wouldest grant to thy loving daughter, whom thou lovest so dearly, such an opportunity to go forth out yonder and ride upon my bicycle. I wouldn't even know what to say if she said this to me. She wouldn't do this, though. And it's not because she doesn't respect me, but because I don't require my children to speak to me in such a way. And guess what? God doesn't either. There should be reverence. There should be respect. There should be fear as you're approaching him. But you don't have to have such eloquence in how you're talking to him in order for him to say, okay, you can have my time. The way Lily would come to me and say this, she said, Daddy, I'm so glad you're home. Would it be okay if I went outside and rode my bicycle? There should be respect. There should be fear as we approach God in prayer. But that doesn't mean that we have to approach him in such a formal manner where our words are rivaling Shakespeare's or some great and eloquent author. When God saves you, he becomes your father. Approach him the way you might approach your earthly father. Respect him. Fear him. Honor him. Just go to him. I can tell you what. I knew I could always approach my father, but there were some days where he put the fear of God in me. It's the same as with God. Have that same respect. Have that same reverence. Have that same fear. Approach him the same way. In Romans 8, verse 15, it tells us of the relationship that believers have with God. And notice what it says here. It says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You know that word Abba? That word is an Aramaic word that is most closely related to our English word, Daddy. Daddy is one of the first words that babies will speak. Levi, he says Mama, he says Dada. There's a few other things that he says which are kind of not necessarily the clearest, but he does say a few things. Mama and Dada, those are, those are the clearest things that he says. He also does this really interesting growling noise, which is always funny because it's always at the weirdest times, but he's really funny about that. I can tell you this, though. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting when your kids call you mama or dada for the first time. And when you know they're actually talking to you, not just, you know, making noise. It's not that they didn't know who you were until they spoke those words, but now they're able to speak and they're able to verbally acknowledge who you are to them. It's exciting because it really becomes personal. 
You've always been mom and dad to them. But now it's verbalized and it just takes it to a whole, whole other degree. And I remember holding my kids for the first time when they were born. And that was, I mean, there's, I can't even describe the joy and the excitement and the love there is in holding this child for the first time. But there's something else too when they're able to communicate to you and recognize who you are in relation to them. Only my children call me daddy because I'm daddy to only my kids. It's so comforting to know, though, that as believers, you are God's child and you can come to him with such confidence that you can actually call him Abba, Father, because he is every bit that to you. So who we're praying to? But notice, secondly, why we pray. Why we pray. Look at verse number 10. So verse number nine says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There's much more we can talk about, but we're just hitting the highlights here. Verse 10 says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Why we pray, he says, thy will be done. This phrase tells us one of the major purposes of prayer, to seek and to secure the will of God. Listen to what we read in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. 1 John 5, 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Some people hear that verse, and they think that they're not going to get anything that they want in prayer. And you know, to some extent, that's true. You're not going to get everything that you ask God for. God is not a, a magical genie that is here for us to rub a lamp and then for him to grant us every wish that we have. We should go to him over everything. But we also need to understand that we pray not that our will be done, but that his will be done. And before you think that this is a bad thing, before you think that you get nothing out of this whole exchange and out of this whole privilege, hear me out. You want, believe me, you want God's will to be done more than your will to be done. God knows what is best for you. God knows what you need from day to day. He knows what is going to set you up for success in the future. So when God changes plans, don't get upset with him. When he throws you a curveball in life because you've mapped out how the week and how the month and how the year should go and then something completely comes out out of nowhere and derails you and sets you off course from your plans and how you thought life was going to go, don't shake your fist at God and say, what are you doing? Recognize that he's brought this for something actually good because he knows what's going to bring success to your life and even though you thought you had it all planned out, God swoops in and says, this is where you actually need to be. So I'm going to change your course. I'm going to ruffle some of your feathers. I'm going to poke you a little bit. I'm going to prod you a little bit. I'm going to purge this out of your life because this is where you actually need to be. You can fight me on this or you can just trust that my will is better than yours. When you understand and when you're treating prayer the right way, you're not feeling like you have to sacrifice what you want for what God wants you to ask for. When you understand the role that God has in your life, you start to understand that the things you've been previously asking for in prayer have not necessarily been what you've actually needed the most. When you start trusting in God from day to day, your vision changes, your perspective on life changes. You start to see things from God's point of view and the desires of your heart, though they were here one day, are now on something completely different the next. When you start praying in the will of God, it doesn't mean that you're going to all of a sudden miss out on all the fun, all the fun, all the excitement, all the things that you thought you were going to get. It means that God is going to bless you even more than you imagined, but it's going to happen in a different way. And praise the Lord for it. God wants for us what we could want for ourselves if we only had enough sense to want it for ourselves. He looks at us and he says, I see your plans. I'm going to raise you one even better. You don't realize it's better yet, but if you trust in me, it's going to be a million times better. And if you wanted it in the first place, if you were seeking me in the first place, you would have been over here on my side instead of trying to do things on your own. God wants for us 
what we should want for ourselves if we only had enough sense to want it. Don't ever forget that prayer is not about trying to bend God's will to meet your will. Prayer is not about talking God into something that he wouldn't otherwise do. Prayer is really an exciting experience where we find out God's will has for us and ask him to make it happen. Now that begs the question, how do we know God's will? How do we find out what God's will is? Well, God's will is revealed to us in the Bible the more that you read it. There are also many things about the will of God that the Bible doesn't touch on, though. You're not going to find a specific verse in this Bible that tells you what job offer you should take. There's no verse that tells you who you should marry. There's no verse that tells you where you should go to school, when to retire, and, and so on. But if you truly want to know God's will for your life, you need to know the Bible and let the truth of the Bible live in you. But you also need to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, Romans 8, 26 and 27, it tells us that the indwelling Holy Spirit, it leads us, he leads us and teaches us how to pray. Notice what it says here. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. What these verses are telling us is that the more you're in tune with God's word, the more God's word is actually part of your life, the more you're feasting on it and getting your soul nourishment through it, the more the Holy Spirit is going to move you and lead you to where you need to be. Throughout the day, the Holy Spirit will bring people, people to mind that I need to be praying for. We need to be sensitive to his leading and pray for these people that he brings to mind. Sometimes this also leads into a phone call. Sometimes it leads into a visit. Sometimes it leads into sending someone a card or a text message or a letter. I cannot tell you how many times that the Lord has put someone on my heart without giving me any more details as to what's going on and, and why this person is on my heart. Just put someone on my heart, someone on my mind, and only for me to find out later that they were going through some particular difficulty and my phone call or my visit or my email or my text message met them at just the time that they needed to hear that someone was praying for them. Ephesians 6.18 tells us, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We are temples of God, but we also need to be a house of prayer. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading and be praying for one another. Be praying for one another. Now third, I want you to notice what we can ask for. What we can ask for. Look at verse number 11. Matthew 6, verse 11. Now we actually see something that we're personally asking for. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. As much as prayer is about seeking to accomplish the will of God, part of God's will includes taking care of his children. It's not selfish to ask God to provide what you need. Just be sure to separate what is a need and what is a want. God is very much concerned with everything you need. But notice that we ask for our needs once we've approached God the right way and first sought that his will be done. In Philippians 4.19, it tells us, it says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now that is something right there that we don't take near enough advantage of. That he will supply all our need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As great as our needs may be, think of the innumerable riches of God and understand that he is able, that he is willing to meet all our needs according to his endless riches. There are a lot of Christians today who are suffering, who are struggling, who are just eking by in life only because they haven't prayed and asked God to meet their needs. This isn't the case in every situation, but in many instances, Christians have their needs unmet simply because they never bothered asking God to help them. In James chapter 4, and verse number 2, it tells us, it says, You have not because ye ask not. I honestly believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to find that there are storehouses, that there are warehouses of blessings that God has in store for us that remained untouched 
because we never asked for them. There are some instances where God blesses us without asking, but he doesn't make this a common practice. If God made it his practice to give us everything we, we needed without ever even going to him in prayer, he'd create a, Christians, a group of Christians with a sense of entitlement, believing that we deserve all these riches simply by being a believer and by a being a child of God. Now, we would not look to God as the, the giver of all gifts because we would expect riches to continue to be there every single morning when we wake up. God is not going to promote a spirit of entitlement and give us a sense of apathy. We do that good enough on our own. He's not going to promote that. God wants us remembering what we're told in James 1.17 where it says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Does God give us blessings without having to ask? Absolutely. The very air you're breathing into your lungs is a gift that God has given you. Did you ask for it? Probably not. But it is a gift. There are daily gifts that God gives us. But not everything is going to be handed over to us just because we're a Christian. When you're able to remember that all the blessings you have in life that have been wonderful, every single one of them have been given to you from God, you'll appreciate all that you have and you will worship and enjoy the giver more than the gifts. So ask God for what you need. There's never anything too big that you cannot ask him for. For the one who spoke the world into existence, there's nothing, nothing at all that is too big for him. So even when you think, well, that's, that's too big of an ask. It's not. Believe me. As long as you're not being selfish, as long as you're not giving God an ultimatum, Lord, I need this, and it's really not a need. If you're being genuine, if you're reading the word of God, if you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, and you're within the will of God, and you are going to God for a need that you have, as big as it may be, guess what? To him, it's nothing. It's nothing. He doesn't have to call in, you know, support. Oh, Jesus, Holy Spirit, come on. This is a doozy of a one. They're, they're asking for something really big. I don't know if I can handle it on my own. No. It's nothing. He spoke the world into existence. Nothing is too big for him. I probably shared this story before. But there was one day when I was driving in the car and Lily was young. We only had her and, and she was in the back seat with me. And we're driving and all of a sudden she just starts screaming, bloody murder from the back seat. And it, it terrified me. I almost drove off the road. I remember thinking just out of nowhere, she starts screaming. And as she's screaming, I'm trying to, and I'm driving over here, trying to look back and figure out what's going on, trying to find out what's going on, what's wrong. And, and out of the screams, I made out one word, spider, spider. So I found a spot where I could, you know, pull over. And I realized as this kid is strapped in, you know, in the five-point harness that they have in the child's seat, and there's a spider crawling on the, on, the, on the window of the door, just inching its way closer to her. And, of course, she can't escape. She's completely strapped in, right? I mean, there's nowhere for her to go. The spider's going to kill her, right? I mean, it's, of course it is. And so as soon as I had a chance, I pulled over. And you know what I did? I pulled out my phone and I looked for exterminators that were near me because I couldn't handle No! I reached back and I swatted that thing out of existence. Was that a big thing for me to do? It literally took a moment of my time to be my child's hero. And now I'm the spider killer everywhere. I don't do the best job because there's still some of them that are leaking around the house, but I don't want to kill them all. I like spiders. When you get a splinter in your finger, when your child gets a splinter in your finger, you grab for a set of tweezers, right, to go pull it out. You don't call on a surgeon, right, to, to come in and to take care of this problem that is huge for your child because they're thinking the life is going to be ending with this little splinter in their finger. You see, as big as the needs may, may be that we have, to God it's nothing. To God it's nothing. He's looking down upon us and he's thinking, I wish they would just come to me more because I've got these blessings that I want to give to them. I just want them to realize that I can give them everything that they're going to need from day to day. And here they are suffering with a splinter. Here they are fearful about spiders. And here they are you know, struggling with these needs that aren't getting met. And they're trying to figure out how to get these needs met. And they're going to every other source but the one who can take care of them all because they think it's too big of an ask. It's not ever too big for God. He can literally swoop down and take care of that spider the same way I did. He can literally grab the tweezers and pull that splinter out. He can literally just speak it into existence and it's there. Don't ever shortchange what God can do and who he is to you. What we can ask for. Notice fourth, prayer must come from a pure heart. 
Prayer must come from a pure heart. Verse number 12, it says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Prayer must come from a pure heart. One of the reasons why many of our prayers remain unanswered is because they've originated from an unclean heart. It doesn't matter how many Bible verses you're quoting to God as you pray, how many promises of his you remind him of as you pray. If you're approaching him with an unclean heart, don't expect much. In Psalm 66, verse 18, the Bible tells us, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The same truth is expressed in Isaiah 59 and verses 1 and 2. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. He can do it. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. It's not that God can't hear you. It's not that God can't reach you. It's that your sin is standing between you and God so that he's not going to. It's not anything that he's failed you on. It's you. It's your problem. It's my problem that stands in the way of being this flow of blessing constantly upon me. God can meet any need. He can provide in any situation. His arm is not shortened or limited and powerless in any sort of way. His ear is always able to hear whenever we call out for him. However, when sin stands between us and God, that flow of blessing from God is blocked. Perhaps you're here today and you've been wondering why your prayer life has seemed quite lackluster. Could it be that there is unconfessed sin in your life? Could it be that you've been approaching God with an unpure heart? Maybe you've been holding a grudge. Maybe you've been harboring harboring bitterness. Maybe there is a hidden sin in your life that no one else knows about but that you're in need of cleansing from. And until this is dealt with, and you're able to approach God with a pure heart, don't expect anything great from your prayer life. God wants to richly bless you. But as long as sin remains between you and God, that is not going to happen. This is not always easy, because sometimes the sin that we've been struggling with, the sin that we've not not, not able to let go of, has become such a big part of who we are even if it's a sin that's remained hidden. And the removal of such a sin requires drastic changes, lifestyle changes at times, and huge sacrifices. But if you really want to know a prayer life with no limits, you'll count the cost, and you'll find that the sin in your life is not worth remaining in comparison to the prayer life that God is offering, which would be richly blessed. Go to God at once. Confess that sin. Restore that fellowship with God as he cleanses you from all your unconfessed sin and receive his forgiveness and experience what it is to really be praying. And number five, how prayer protects us. How prayer protects us. Look at verse number 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How prayer protects us. The devil is going to do and is doing everything in his power to make sure that our prayer life is abysmal. Many of us will pray, will ask God to forgive us of our sins, but we forget to pray, deliver me from evil. Just because you're saved doesn't mean that Satan cannot oppress you. Because believers are the objects of God's love, we automatically become Satan's targets. We desperately need protection from temptation and from evil. And I firmly believe that one of the reasons we find ourselves constantly asking forgiveness for the same sins, day after day, week after week, month after month, it's the same thing that we're confessing. It's the same thing that we're asking God to give us forgiveness for. The same sin over and over and over. I believe that we're doing that. Because we have, haven't gone to God and said, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but also deliver me from evil. Many of us have no trouble taking time at the end of the day and asking God to forgive us for all the sins that we've committed over the course of that day, only to find ourselves doing the same thing the following night. And the night after that, and so on. Perhaps if we started off our day praying for God's deliverance from temptation in the first place, we would have less to pray and ask God for forgiveness for at the end of the day. How prayer protects us. And last, number six, 
the praise of prayer. The praise of prayer. Verse 13, once more. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The praise of prayer. Christ instructs us here how to pray. And to pray in such a way that our prayers begin and end with praise. Look back at verse number 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It begins and ends with praise. Regardless of why it is that you're praying, be sure that your prayers contain praise to God. Many times our prayers seem to fall on deaf ears because we haven't learned to praise. Of all things, this should be the easiest. This should be the one thing that we're able to nail down. It shouldn't be too hard to think of all the reasons that we have to praise God, of all the things that he has done for us. What he told that formerly demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5, go and tell thy friends, go and tell them of how good things Christ has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. It shouldn't be hard to think about all the things that God has done for you. In Psalm 34 and verse 1, it tells us of what should be true of all of us. Psalm 34, 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You have a God who loves you. You have a God who has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. You have a God who has given you eternal salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You have a God who has forgiven you of all your sin through the sacrifice of his only begotten son. You have a God who desires to richly bless you. Why would you not offer him praise? May our lives become more than a sum total of selfish ambitions, and may we experience the blessedness of prayer as we become the house of prayer that God intends on us being. Would you bow with me in prayer at this time? Heavenly Father, Lord, we are thankful to be here. Lord, I'm thankful for, Lord, the reminder that I needed today. Lord, my life hasn't always been that house of prayer that it needs to be. Lord, and it's for reasons which don't even always make sense. And I'm sure, Lord, we're all guilty of this. Lord, where we go through seasons where our focus isn't where it should be, where we're allowing distractions, Lord, to creep into our mind and to tell us that we don't need to go to you over this or that it can wait. Lord, may we not neglect prayer. May we not forsake the blessed communion that we have with you in prayer. May we be as your temples, a house of prayer that I believe we were designed to be. Lord, I ask that you would encourage every single one of us, that the Holy Spirit would convict us and help us in those areas in which we are in need of cleansing, to do all that needs to be done, Lord, to cleanse ourselves of all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, that we may indeed approach you with a pure heart, that we may indeed see what it is to be richly blessed by the storehouses of blessings that you have for us as we come to you in prayer. May it not be said of us that we have not because we ask not. May we be asking of everything that we need as we are asking according to your will. In Christ's name we pray, amen. As we close our time,